As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Benvenuto alla Total Soccer Show, complimenti all'Italia, bastardi! My name is Ryan Bailey, I'm putting pineapple on my pizza and I'm calling it Calzone from now on. <sighs> Joining me today is a man who's proudly wearing his Mrs. Grealish 69 shirt as we speak, it's Taylor Rockwell, hello. I mean, I- I'm I'm kind of frustrated that she beat me to it, that she got to be the first one on global television to uh, to rep that one. I thought I was going to unveil it here on the show, but here we are. I mean, yeah, she totally uh, stole your spot there. Right? Um, it was a Man United shirt too, wasn't it? Or am I mistaken? Oh, I didn't catch that. It was. I mean, that, yeah, that wouldn't be surprising. I, I thought it might actually be yours, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the last name I got on the back of a jersey. It's been a while. It might have been Rooney, and that might have been a gift. But uh, I do, I do love the idea of, of Mrs. Grealish. I don't know about the number on that one, though. I just hope she went to the Man United club store and was like, "What will it be today, madam? It's going to be Mrs. Grealish <laughs> and the number 69." Yes, that's right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Hurry, please. I've got a game I think to the, get to. I think the only way to do that, especially, is to like act as though you don't know and be like, no, those are the most important numbers. Like, I, I like defense, but I like attack, so I want the kind of combination of a number six with the number nine, and just really try to play it off that way as opposed to just fully owning what was going on there. But I'm glad that we're going this way with it, Ryan. I'm glad that we're finding some levity to this one for you. Uh, this is the only way I can go to stop myself crying. Also, here is a man who is dressed today as neither Super Mario nor a pizza. It's our widling beyond the wall. It's Graham Rutherford. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I've, I've had better days, if I'm honest, uh, Graham. Yeah, yeah, I can manage. So can you, can you do me? I've got a favour to ask of you, though. Can you let me know when football arrives home? Because you know how annoying it is when you wait in for a package that never arrives. And that is very annoying. So just let me know. 
Did you see, by the way, Graham, at the game, there was a big Scotland flag behind the goal with Schwarzenegger on it saying, we'll be back. I did see that. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should uh, get a St George's flag with the same thing. But we'll be back sooner than you. So, you know, that makes me feel a bit better. Yeah, you might reach another final in 55 years. <laughs> That's not the time, Graham. Also here is a man who's never used a flare inappropriately. It's Joe Lowry. <laughs> That picture was a delight to receive on my WhatsApp uh, when uh, Ryan was it you or Graham? I don't remember. It was Graham who sent it, wasn't it? Uh, it just... Well, it was Ryan in the picture, but I sent it. <laughs> right, of course, of course, yeah. Graham sending a picture of Ryan with a flare. You know, I don't need to go into any more detail here. But also, before we started recording, I want listeners to know. Graham said, "Ah, you know, I'm not going to go in on Ryan. Really, I'm going to, you know, keep it light." That lasted for all of, I don't know, a minute, two minutes. It wasn't, I mean, he didn't go in that hard. He just, he politely asked him to let him know. Like, I totally understand. (laughs) I know what it's like when your package has been marked delivered and then you check and it's not there. And now there's a question of, did somebody steal it? Like, you want to know for sure. And I think I'm with Graham. He's just asking for confirmation from Ryan whenever that happens. Just asking for a favor. Yeah. Still coming home, Graham. It's just delayed, all right? <laughs> anyway, uh, I, it turns out I went for a run for no reason this morning, by the way. My lucky streak of going for a run and listening to three lines twice every time I go running, or every time England wins, sorry, that, that streak is now broken. I, I even thought I had a lucky sort of signal today. I was reaching to get my phone because I wanted to listen to World in Motion. I wanted that John Barnes rap one more time. And just as I went to reach to my pocket, it started playing on a playlist of a thousand songs. That's a one in a thousand chance for the math fans out there. I thought it was a sign. It wasn't. It wasn't. I am. (laughs) I'm not in a good place right now. I've got to be honest, guys. This is the first time in my career where I've not really wanted to record a podcast. But I'm glad I am because I'm kind of having my spirits lifted talking to two of you um but i have to say <laughs> congratulations to italy it's fair and square they were the better team on the night um, of the euro 2020 final which is what we're here to talk about england weren't the better team i'm surprised in many ways that england went this far but i have to say i am so proud of this team the, not just what it's done on the field but being i've been in england a week now um vis- visiting my family and and you can see the way it's brought people together the way it's it's given hope to a country that's had a very very difficult year and other countries have had a difficult year of course but this one has particularly incompetent leadership and it's just been a very very difficult time in the uk and this team was it was a beacon and i think they really 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 did us proud and taylor i'm going to ask you to say something before i start crying right now um, I, I will say this. I'm with you on the team. And I do think that after the what first minute, the second minute, it seemed like, OK, Gareth Southgate is a genius. I know nothing, which is probably still fair. <laughs> By the end of it, I think there's some questions to be asked about Gareth Southgate, though, yeah. in trying to figure out like what it would be in my notes, I had it as Southgate goes from genius to I thought about it for a while. And my conclusion was not genius because I still wouldn't even say that he got things like horribly wrong or obvious mistakes were made. But I would say that the team itself I can get behind. A lot of the things that happened in the lead up to this game did make it hard for me. Obviously, leaning England because of the Daryl Grove connection, because I know his family is home in England watching this game and rooting for England. And there's all those fans who I think are supporters of this show who, who care about England and were maybe pulling for them. But some of the scenes in the stadium, uh, made that very hard for me to get my head around of like, yay, England, who are actively fighting in the, uh, in the stands and in the like the tunnels and such leading to those stands that made it a little bit difficult i don't know if that's helped ryan but i will be honest and say that made it slightly odd to watch the game and see that footage coming in at the same time yeah 
I fully accept we continually make it hard uh, to be liked. And that is another example of that. Apparently many hundreds, if not thousands of fans in the stadium uh, without tickets. And if you actually watched on the footage, you could see like the aisles at the front were there. There were no yeah. aisles because they were just full of people uh, who may or may not have uh, been ticket holders. There were supposed to be 60,000 fans at this event. And I couldn't really see a spare seat at Wembley Stadium during play. Um, I, I think the depressing one of the depressing things about this, gents, is it felt so similar to the 2018 World Cup semi-final against Croatia, taking an early lead and then doing very little thereafter and having very little attacking prowess and not looking like getting a winner thereafter. And I'd say this was a little more hopeful than that that Croatia game, but oh, yeah, you know, it's, I think it's I think it's so sad. <laughs> I think it definitely was, and I'm, I apologize to Graham and Joe for continuously talking, but uh, to try to make Ryan feel a little bit better, I would say that, like, I don't mean this to be disrespectful to Croatia, but they are not this Italy team who have so much talent, both on, in their starting 11, uh, coming in as substitutes, even with the injuries they had, there's still so much talent that I really did think this was going to be a 3-0 win for Italy, a pretty comprehensive win at that. And so for England to come out, get that, the go-ahead goal, and then to really flummox Italy for the first 45 minutes. And and I saw uh, Italian players yelling at each other and arguing with each other and just sort of being really frustrated really quickly. And we haven't seen that much this whole tournament. And I think that England did a lot of things really well in those opening 45 minutes, less so in the second, and I would say even less so in extra time. But there was a moment there where it did feel like, okay, they have kind of evolved to that next level, and that may well still be the case. But I think this is a much deeper and more talented Italy team than I think other teams that England has uh, has had to face recently. So I think you still have to give a little bit of credit to what uh, Southgate did and the decisions he made. The first 20 minutes in particular, I, I felt like England had a chance to blow Italy away. Had, yeah. had they scored the second mm-hmm. goal, I think it might have been game over. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, in hindsight, it finishes 1-1, so that's a, a statement of the obvious. But at the time, I feel like a second goal kills that contest entirely. And it felt like um, we were all very focused, or I certainly was, on when when Southgate goes for the you know the the, the wing backs, the, the back three with the wing backs. We're all kind of looking at that from the the defensive logic of side, but within two minutes we see the attacking benefit of that with with Trippier crossing for for Shaw, and it didn't seem it felt it felt like Italy were unprepared for that. It felt like they were also unprepared for Harry Kane to drop deep and help out in midfield. We obviously. In the previous podcast, identified the midfield as an area that would essentially determine the whole game, and and we spoke about maybe Mount being the one to drop deep, or maybe Henderson even starting as a bit of a curveball. But what it was was Kane basically in the first half playing as a as a midfield a midfielder and and driving forward, and it, it felt like Italy were slightly unprepared. Then what obviously happens is Mancini, um, as I think for me the the highest pedigree coach in the, in, in the whole tournament, maybe along with uh, Luis Enrique. He makes the changes and then England don't respond to those changes. And I feel that's where the match was lost for England. And and even in, in extra time, um, England's kind of regained control of the match. And it felt at that point that was the moment for Southgate to go for it. And obviously he puts on Sancho and Sterling, but they, they're, put, they're put on for the shootout rather than... I mean, Rashford's playing right back for the last three minutes. Yeah. Um, and so basically... I think what what Southgate forgot was so the the last sixteen game against Germany was vindication for Southgate's conservative kind of approach. But what he kind of forgot was that game required him to be bold in throwing on Grealish for the last twenty minutes, who then made the difference after the platform had been established. 
And it never felt like England really did that in this game. Even after there were, there were moments where they regained control, they never really went for it. And that cost them in the end. So to reset for any listener who may uh, may not have uh, watched the events at Wembley Stadium on Sunday night, this was England against Italy. Italy being the home team in this one. It was 1-1 after extra time. Italy winning 3-2 on penalties. England losing on penalties. Nature is healing everybody. Things are going back to normal. Um, Berardi missing the first penalty and then Sancho and Rashford missing. Jorginho, of all people, missing the fifth penalty. When he didn't get that red card, it felt like he was going to be the guy to win it, but he did not. It was Poro Bukayo Saka, 90 years old tasked with the uh, task of taking England's fifth penalty and ultimately that didn't come to pass. Joe, let's get get back to the setups, the lineups here and the formations. Um, When we previewed this final, I don't think any of us predicted it would be a back three. I think we were all fairly confident it would be a back four and that's what it started off with and Kieran Trippier coming in for Saka into the lineup. What did you make of that? Yeah, I thought it would be a back four just because that's what Gareth Southgate had been doing previous. I mean, in the build up to this game, and the shift to the back three is not a shock, right? That's the system that they entered. Or that's a system that they've used a lot in this tournament as well. I think England are almost equally comfortable in both, and it doesn't drastically change how they play. I will say though, I think the three four three, which is essentially what it looked like in possession. I think it worked out really well, especially as Graham highlighted in the first 20 minutes of this game. And even I'll extend that to the majority of the first half. So often it was Harry Kane dropping in and adding an extra number into midfield. It was Raheem Sterling who played as that right-sided winger tucked inside with Trippier able to overlap. Raheem Sterling would be able to drop in and get on the ball a little bit and then drive the ball forward. I think England, England's ball movement in the first half looked better than almost any point I've seen in this tournament. They were moving the ball with purpose. They were finding space. They were attacking. And I think the 3-4-3 helped them create those numerical advantages in central midfield with Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips as the double pivot. And then you've got Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling as the two tens or the two narrow wingers. And then Kane, almost five guys, not all of them in that space at the same time, but having that natural numerical advantage over Italy's three central midfielders gave England almost constant outlets, and Italy just could not figure out how to apply pressure on the ball in that first half. Obviously, England get the opening goal. They still keep attacking, which I think is impressive. And then in the second half, it all fades a little bit because England take their foot off the gas, which, to be fair, I don't think is the worst idea in the world. It's Italy here. You need to compress space. You need to manage the game. But England in the second half, I thought, really struggled to find the balance between effective defending, which they kind of pushed all their chips into that little bucket, and then actually effective transition attacking. They really struggled to get forward. They concede the goal off of the corner kick for Italy, and then they still can't really get forward in regulation, which limits their ability to actually win the game at all in in the first 90 minutes, and then it's on to hoping an extra time, and obviously that didn't pay off. It did not. Um, Graham, when I saw the back three decision, I thought this was a, a more of a conservative move, as Joe has kind of laid out there. And Gareth Southgate said on, on the TV, it, it was an attacking um, move. He, at the quote from Southgate, Italy caused you a tactical problem. They have a familiar way of playing, and it's a problem which is difficult to resolve with a winger because he ends up defending in our own third of the pitch. We want to keep our attacking players higher up the pitch, which we hope will cause them a problem higher up. And as Joe says, um, at, you know, the opening stages, when it could have been a couple of goals to the good it was a successful tactic yeah absolutely and and in the first 20 minutes or so even in the first half the the, the English right side were having a field day had mm. you know had all the space in, in the world and um that was causing that was causing Italy so many problems obviously that's where the the cross for the 
the first goal comes from, but there was a, a couple other good opportunities down that side. And one of the things, I think it was Carl uh, Anka on, on, on Twitter, he highlighted how one of the changes, the subtle changes that Italy made that really worked for them, and once he highlighted this, I kept my eye on, eye on it, and he was spot on, was that Verratti basically took it upon himself, or it might have been an instruction from Mancini, I guess, but he took it upon himself to disrupt that link between Walker and, and Trippier on, on the right side. Yeah. Um, and so what that did was that pulled Mason Mount over to Verratti to try and combat him getting involved there. And that then created space on the right for Di Lorenzo, who in the, in the first, um, the first half of the first half, if you follow me, was, was a non-entity at all. But then as the game went on, he, I think he actually has more, more crosses than anyone else over the, over the full match, four crosses uh, completed for, for Italy. So he was kind of ghosting into space on that right side. And, and that was just one of the, the smart little changes that Mancini made and Italy made over the course of the match with Cristanti coming on as well in the second half. He seemed to be, Pushing high on Phillips in particular, um, which was, was, that was part, a big part of the reason why Italy, or sorry, England were struggling to play through Italy in that second half. I thought that second half was really bad for England. I thought they were quite lucky to get to 90 minutes, um, level and get extra time, to be honest, because it, it really felt like they, they got things quite badly wrong in that second half, or rather, Italy got a lot of things right. And, and Cristanti was another one of those things. So it was definitely, a, an interesting, a tactical tussle. I enjoyed watching the the changes that happened, and um, I think the biggest difference in this game, even though it is decided by a penalty shootout, of course, so not much between the two two teams. But I think Mancini showed that he, he was Italy's biggest asset in this tournament, and it was his mm. kind of changes that that won it for them. Well, more on those changes, and maybe we'll touch on the poop housery that Italy displayed uh, in the latter stages of this game after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We're talking about the Euro 2020 final, which eh, doesn't matter who won. Let's get talking about it anyway. Um, <laughs> Taylor, I'll come to you. Um, talk about England for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, Kieran Trippier, did he have his invisibility shield on for um, the first 20 minutes or so? Because it seemed like he was uh, left unmarked by the Italian yeah. backline for a lot of periods of time. And uh, anything else you noticed that England were doing? I, well, first off, I, I was surprised to see him in the starting 11. I, I also thought it would be a back four for England. Uh, my, my friends of mine were maybe wiser than I. They bet on Kieran Trippier to not only start, but to get an assist. So they were very, very happy when he, he did both of those things. So credit mm. to them for that one. But I do think a big reason why he was so open is because Gareth Southgate not only went for that back three slash back five as the game went on, 
but also let Kyle Walker get involved in the attack a little bit more in those opening 15 or 20 minutes. And that's the thing when we were doing our teams of the tournament, I had Kyle Walker as my right wing back starting, but with the caveat that like he hasn't really done much attacking in the, in this tournament. And yet he does make that overlapping run. And that's a big reason why I think Italy aren't as inclined to put pressure on Trippier because they're not quite sure if that ball is going wide to Kyle Walker. And so they stand off. And I think that's where that space comes from. And there were those sort of, unexpected runs, those unexpected overlaps or overloads that really did make Mancini blink, I think, and he had to adjust. And that's where I I go with Graham, that I think some of the adjustments he made were just so incredibly smart. We already talked about the Verratti one, but clearly England had spotlighted that Lorenzo Insigne is is the threat or one of the main threats for Italy. And again, to give credit to Karl Anka, I think he pointed out that Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier were constantly... Uh, observing what Insigne was doing, tracking him, making sure he was never open. And Mancini, as soon as that starts to become very clear that they're just going to man-mark him and not let him get any time and space, makes a really smart instruction, which is that he really encourages Emerson to get forward but be smarter in possession. Emerson in the first 15-20, he's involved in the attack but has a heavy touch and loses the ball, has another heavy touch and and, uh, concedes a foul, has another one where I think he dribbles out of bounds. And there seems to be a priority on getting him further forward, not necessarily to be involved in the attack, but to pin England back a bit more. And then Insigne starts cutting inside, which is no new thing, except now he starts doing it 30 and 40 yards from the England goal, which means England's defense now has to make a choice. Does somebody track him and step to him, or do we keep our shape? Which means he's going to be open in the midfield, and now there is an overload. Because with Kane dropping in, I think the numbers were more balanced. But once Insigne is in there, you do have... Uh, uh, a mismatch there. England, when they make that adjustment, I think then Italy kept making smart little changes. And I think that was the story of the game for me, is that Mancini was able to make smart adjustments, smart substitutions, and keep his foot on the gas once they had it on there, until about the 113th minute when it feels like England or Italy were more okay with penalties slash maybe getting one on the counter, but definitely not conceding in uh, extra time. Joe, if Mancini made smart little decisions did um did Southgate make unsmart little decisions throughout this game because um you know was a very strong start and we saw the Trippier in that higher position than 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 Shaw on the other side lots of energy and then sort of the game it it, it was there was a lot of you know giving the ball away cheaply and a lot of stuff and, and not creating enough chances and we can put that on the players but what what do you think maybe Southgate did wrong as the game as the game progressed it's so easy, and I, I I want to lead with this. It's so easy for me to talk about what should have happened or what would have benefited England. It's a lot harder to be the person making those decisions and to try to actually transmit those decisions from your spot on the sideline to the field where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of fans yelling and making noise and all that stuff. It, it's hard. I'm not saying that this is an easy thing for Gareth Southgate, but the biggest issue for me is something I mentioned already. It's England's inability to balance defensive uh, defensive work and defending deep in their own half in the second half with actually getting forward and attacking in that second 45. England had exactly one shot from open play in this game, and it came in the second minute, and it came from Luke Shaw, and it came on that goal. No more shots in open play from England in this entire game. You can't you can't really expect to win that way. And in a sense, that's been England all along, right? They come out strong, they start well, they score, they create some chances early on, then they pack things in either with the ball or in this game, it happened to be more without the ball. But this is a little bit of the downside and the margins are so small, but this is a little bit of the downside is when you're not really set up and to attack and to go forward. And when you've chosen to draw your line of confrontation pretty deep in your own half, 
it makes it really difficult to go after you've conceded and go get that that game winner or go get that at least go ahead goal and and force Italy back a little bit more. There were some changes that Southgate tried to make, right? Uh, they they stepped up a little bit farther further forward and, and tried to press a little bit higher when Saka comes on for Trippier in the second half and they switched to that 4-4-2 or a 4-5-1 more often defensively. But still, they got pinned back a lot. They they struggled to find the moments to get forward. That, for me, was the real killer. Because in extra time, I thought it was a lot more even. And not that England looked particularly dangerous with the ball. But they, they clearly had decided, okay, we need to play a little bit more. We have the talent to do this. Jack Grealish comes on in the first extra time period. And they are pushing for it a little bit more. But part of me thinks it was just a little uh, too little too late at that point. Graham, a couple of questions for you about the substitutions that Southgate made. For the second game running, we had a player coming on and coming off again. It was Jordan Henderson this time, came on in the 74th minute for Declan Rice, presumably to advance things forward a little bit more, uh, and then coming off again. So like, get, get your thoughts on, on what happened there. And also Jack Grealish coming on in extra time. Uh, a nation clamouring for him every second of this yeah. game, and indeed this tournament. Uh, to the extent that it gets a bit annoying how much people are clamoring for him. But he, I mean, what, what what did you make of his introduction? Could it have been sooner? Oh, yeah, definitely could have been sooner for me. And I, again, I, I, draw, I draw that analogy to the, the round of 16 win over Germany, where it, it, that was really a, a game of vindication for Southgate. But it still required him to to be bold in, in, in putting Grealish on. And so the fact he comes on, was it, 10 minutes into extra time? Yeah. The 99th minute? Um, felt way too late. For me, then that that say I, I do understand why he was reluctant, maybe to put on another attacker in that, um, or another creative player in that that Italy were doing such a good job of of stopping the supply line. So as I mentioned, Cristante seemed to be very high on on Phillips, and that was that fragmented the the Phillips Rice uh, relationship, which at points of this match had been really effective. And and then I think maybe that's why Jordan Henderson comes off is maybe um, just to provide a little bit more dynamism, slightly higher up the pitch than, than Declan Rice offers. But then if you put on Grealish and then you end up with another player isolated, slightly higher up the pitch, then that obviously just increases the pressure on, on Calvin Phillips. But actually what I think it did do was just drop the Italian midfield slightly deeper to to kind of handle Grealish, um, and so that actually opened up more space for for Calvin Phillips. So I could see which it going what uh, either of those two ways, and and actually it did it did seem to work out for England. As I say, the I said earlier the the extra time period, I thought they were particularly the second half of extra time, which I guess is when Grealish was on the pitch for for most of that extra time. I thought they regained control of the match. So yes, yeah, certainly. Southgate for me should have put on Grealish a lot earlier, um, and then the changes, the changes late and late in extra time. I tweeted this out. They were both too late and too early <laughs> in in terms of putting Rashford and, and Sancho on. So you obviously would want them on the pitch to to actually um, have an impact on the game. They were they were put on for the the shootout. I think it's it's pretty fair to say. Uh, ironic then yeah, that, that both go. players then missed the, those penalties. Um, and there was a period in the shootout when every player who was doing a stutter run up was was missing. I I just would wouldn't do a stutter run up. That's probably quite a a proper football man opinion. But just run up and slam it, Harry Maguire. That's how I would take a penalty. But instead of mine going in the top corner, it would just go into Rosette. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what, what I mean by they were too, they were too early was England had three minutes of of kind of holding on for a shootout with Rashford at right back. Um, and I don't even know where Sancho was playing, to be honest. It, 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 they didn't really have a system for those last three minutes when Italy had the, the ball almost exclusively. So 
Yeah, it was quite impressive that Southgate managed that both too early and too late. But I, I, I thought he got his subs wrong, and I also thought he got the the shootout penalty takers wrong as well. It doesn't sit well with me that a a nineteen year old is is taking the. It doesn't matter how good he is or how 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 much conviction he has in himself, and obviously Southgate trusts him, and that's important. But I just wonder where Sterling and, and Grealish are at that point, and I think maybe that is on the manager at that time to to kind of recognize that a 19 year old shouldn't be taking that penalty Graham in those final moments with that with those final substitutions I I did sort of get excited because it seemed like Sancho and Rashford were ready to go there's a throw in for Italy we wait a second and then they're not ready they have to change something and so the throw in is taken And at that moment I wondered like how impressive would it have been from Italy to just keep possession until the final (laughs) whistle went to just not let those substitutions happen I kind of would have respected it even if it probably would have led to like an overly aggressive tackle from an England player to make sure those subs occurred yeah well in in the end it was in Italy's benefit you know in their best interest Uh, (laughs) for those two players to come on (laughs) But that would have been that would have been a level of gamesmanship that I wouldn't have been surprised to see from Italy because the other I think kind of big narrative for me in regulation and in extra time was Italy having like calm and discipline in their performance when it was necessary and England having the opposite of that and I would point to little things like there's the Chiellini yellow on Saka which is uh, a very obvious yellow. He pulls him back. He throws him down. Uh, I forget who was making this point on Twitter, but I would agree with it, which is that like you have to have. It was David Amoyal was saying that you have to have the immediacy of the awareness of knowing what the threat is, and you've got to be if you're Chiellini, recognize that and make that foul right there. Because if you let a couple yards go, you're probably not catching Saka there, and if you do then it's a more clear-cut chance and maybe it's more of an argument for a red card. And I think how quickly Italy were able to read situations and adapt to them was was important. But then for Chiellini to make an overlapping run in the 122nd minute or for Bonucci, there's one in extra time when it's a long ball. He has, I think it's Sterling, running at him at full speed. And he goes for just the very clever little flick from the back of his head all the way back to Donnarumma. And if he mishits that, if he doesn't take it perfectly the way he does, it's it's a chance for Sterling to run onto, or or Donnarumma has to make sort of an improvised play, and just that calm at, in the back had to give Italy a bit more confidence. And I contrast it with at the very end of the first period of extra time, uh, England draw a free kick. They're in a dangerous position. They get everybody set, and then the free kick is taken, and immediately the whistle is blown for two different fouls by England players trying to get into attacking positions. And in that moment, we're in, I think we're already into extra time of that, or we're into injury time of that extra time period. Like, there's no chance Italy are going to counterattack and score. That would have been a moment for England to get their wits about them and threaten. And and that's they that's where their goal came from, was off a cross. Why not try that again? Why not sort of back yourselves to make a play? And that they just immediately foul, to me, said there isn't that, like, mental discipline that maybe Italy had in the necessary moments. If we were to talk about Italy's gamesmanship, let's come back to that um, Chiellini incident with Saka. The horse collaring. Um, (laughs) This is another example of Ryan doesn't know the rules of soccer, but how close is that to a professional foul? Anybody know? It feels feels stronger than a yellow to me. I don't know. 
I think I did. I think in one of the one ones I did about like soccer terminology, I, I, I said that I think like you can use professional foul for a lot of different things. But when you hear a British commentator say it was a cynical foul, that's when you know it was a professional foul that maybe crossed the line. And that's what I would say that foul was from Chiellini. It was cynical and <laughs> that he knew exactly what was happening, exactly what needed to be done and had made a mistake to put himself in that position. So rather than just sort of like pull back the jersey a little bit and it's a yellow card and it's a professional foul, that was a cynical one because he does indeed go for the horse collar. And what about Jorginho's uh, stamp on uh, Mrs. Grealish 69's future husband? Um, the, he was going, he sort of stamped, got to the ball, but then put his studs on Grealish's upper thigh. Uh, any thoughts on whether that it feels like one that could have been given a red yeah. and maybe you got away with that, Graham? Yeah, and Mrs. Grealish 69 was very nearly very disappointed with yeah. uh, where that tackle took place on Grealish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely felt like a red to me. Uh, I, I thought that was and the, and the, the way it went to VAR as well. I, I was I was quite convinced it was going to be a red. The only thing I can I can maybe think of is. The contact with, with, even though his studs are kind of up, the, the contact with Grealish, obviously his leg is, is like flat on the floor. So actually the contact doesn't really happen that, that high up. Um, but it still felt like a, a bit of a stamp challenge for me. So yeah, I, I, this was a red card for me. Once, um, Jorginho did that, it felt absolutely written in the stars that he would take and win the game with the fifth penalty. Just it felt like that had to happen, and that didn't that didn't quite happen in the narrative. But uh, I'm kind of glad that didn't in a way. Joe, before we go to another quick break, can you give me something to smile about before we go away for a minute? Just um, any positive England performances you saw. I thought Declan Rice was superb. This is probably one of his better, if not his best, England game here. Uh, by far the best performance Rashford's ever given at right back as well. I'd say. Um, anything else? <laughs> Oh, I mean, we've already talked about Harry Kane, who I thought was just superb. I know, Ryan, you don't, you don't love to hate Harry Kane, but I know there's not a ton of love there for you. So mm. I'll, I'll pick somebody else. I really do think Luke Shaw was excellent in this game, mm. not just because he scores that opening goal, but just, I don't know, the way he operates on that left side, his left foot is so clean. And he How wasn't well does really, he take that, that shot? By yeah, the way, I mean, the, the shot is unreal. The, the, the uh, aerial camera angle as well that they show on the broadcast after the initial angle. Uh, it's it's beautiful. The way Luke Shaw just gets forward and has the ability to impact games, and it's a shame because he didn't really have a huge chance to after the first 45, but uh, just a really impressive player that I'm more and more impressed with every time I watch him for England, and for Taylor's sake, I hope, I hope I feel the same way uh, this season with Man United. If I had the time and inclination, I would have cut that Luke Shaw goal in with the footage of Mourinho from All or Nothing when he turns the TV off and sort of throws the remote down. <laughs> that that should have been. That, I hope somebody did that out there somewhere. Uh, we're going to have more on this game. We'll talk about the penalty shootout and a little bit more as well after this short commercial break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We are talking about the Euro 2020 final. England, uh, sorry, Italy coming out victors. England came out victors in my hopes and dreams. Uh, It was Italy who got 3-2 win on penalties in this one. How about that shootout? It's quite a lot of missed penalties here. The majority obviously going England's way. Um, I can't... Uh, Taylor, tell me this. What was the bigger surprise? The manner in which Harry Maguire scored the perfect penalty, which went at 300 miles an hour, or Jorginho missing a penalty? I did not see either of those things happening. Uh, the the Harry Kane, the the way he took it, like how confidently he took it, and the fact that I believe I'm correct in saying that even though it doesn't statistically count, that was his first touch in the Italy box. Uh, that also may be a little bit surprising that in that moment he is as confident as he is. And, and it seemed like that was going to get England off to the start they needed. Harry Maguire then finishing his the way he did. It was shades of one of my favorite penalties of all time, Owen Hargraves uh, scoring for Manchester United against Chelsea in the Champions League. Just how emphatic it was in a moment that it needed to be because Bellotti had, had just missed his. So for Maguire to step up and it seemed like, oh, like unless he can score it with his head, I don't know how this is going to work. And then he buries it top corner. Things seemed to be going well for England at that point. Yeah, and the, the the whole thing about bringing in players specifically for penalty shootouts, Graham. I mean, I'm, I can think of a, a certain goalkeeping goalkeeper, excuse me, being brought in for, by the Netherlands yeah. in, in a World Cup, and that mm-hmm. working out pretty well. But in practice, it doesn't seem to always work out that well. And it didn't work out well here, as you say, with Rashford and Sancho both missing and them both coming on in the 120th minute. That seems problematic for Gareth Southgate, whose whose copybook is pretty much unblemished up to this point. Uh, up to the point of this game, I should say. And then having, as you say, a 19-year-old uh, uh, sucker taking the fifth penalty. And what what I wonder in situations like this is, like, where's where's players like Raheem Sterling in, in the lineup? Why why is this order taking place like this? I'm confused. 
It was it was a bit confusing. I I don't like so. There's two things that I've already mentioned. I don't like the you know 19 year old taking a penalty before more experienced members of the squad. And then obviously Southgate has maybe seen him. You know maybe Saka has been smashing them in and in training. And but I I, I I still don't really like it um, when there's so much pressure on a on a sudden death penalty like that. Um, the other thing is I don't like I don't like putting on. Uh, outfield players for penalties. I think, I think it can work with goalkeepers because obviously the dynamic with a goalkeeper is slightly different. So, you know, they don't, they don't really get held accountable if, if they don't make the saves. So it really only feels like the, the mind games can work in, in your, in your favor. Um, so with obviously you're referencing Tim Krul there at the 2014 World Cup. That's right. Oh, that's it. Um, so yeah, I feel I, I'm, I can see that working, but with outfield players, you know, a, a penalty is all a penalty in a shootout is already a high pressure environment, and so when you're putting on players who who have been put on specifically for a shootout, it just ra- it just raises the pressure that little bit more. And I, I knew that Rashford was was missing his as soon as he's he's doing the stutter and Donnarumma just stands and stares him down and doesn't really move. And obviously, in the end, I think maybe Donnarumma actually dives the wrong way on Rashford's penalty. But but obviously Rashford has has been distracted slightly and is obviously going for a little bit too much of the corner hits the post. I knew that was going to happen with with Rashford. Um, so yeah, some strange decisions in the shootout for me. Graham, did you think your feed had frozen for a minute? Because that was yeah. a blue, and Rashford stood there for like a good five seconds. So yeah. so there was a it, that was a thing a number of players were doing. A couple of the Italian players did that, and I I wondered if the the feed was sending through the referee's whistle early or something, but it, it was it was a little bit peculiar. I'm with you on that. Yeah, there were some far too long and dramatic pauses. I completely agree. We were sitting there going, "Come on, you're going to take it yet?" But um, with, with the Rashford penalty, he did the he did the Jorginho thing in a way of watching the keeper and not looking at the ball. Um, you know, the, many other players, Eden Hazard does it as well, doesn't he? And so the the two players who did it in this shootout, Jorginho and Rashford, failed. So um, and Harry Maguire hitting it. Um, uh, Alan Shearer style succeeded, so I think Taylor, we can say that ninety soccer wins here, and uh, modern stuff is rubbish, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I I continued to say pick a side and hit it to that side. I really I think there is if you have the like the poise and confidence and self belief to back yourself in the run up to kind of make that decision then I think credit to you, but I don't. And, and I think if you're running up and thinking, uh, is it that way, is it this way, is it that way? Weirdly, the comparison I always go to, and I did not do this, I would assume that Graham and Ryan didn't either, but it's like the old saying about if you're walking down the aisle for your wedding thinking like, worst case scenario, it's a divorce. Like, that's not the way you want to go into weddings. And I think here, if you're starting that run up thinking like, what's he going to do? Is he going that way? But let me see. Like, if you're reacting to the goalkeeper, in my mind, you've sort of already lost because you're not just sort of backing yourself to score to score and it's maybe it's the hop maybe it's the stutter step but I think of Harry Kane you have to believe just picked his spot and hit the ball Harry Maguire I think picked his spot and hit the ball and I think a couple other Italian players did that as well and then you do have those moments of maybe overthinking I think the Italy takes were especially interesting when you contrast them with what they did against Spain Uh, we can talk about that now or later I leave it to you Ryan but I think this penalty shootout was pretty fascinating from beginning to end I do, I do want to add just in support of, I mean, I, I don't really care one way or the other in terms of penalty approach. I don't know which is better statistically. I'd, I'd kind of let that be the decider for me, but I will say Benucci did the hop as well and he did score his penalty. So mm. who knows? Maybe there is something to it. 
Panucci, by the way, I believe the oldest player to score in a European Championship final, and we had the earliest goal in the European Championship final in here. So plenty of uh, plenty of uh, records being broken in this one. Oh boy! I mean, and what else do we say about this game, um, t- Taylor? Any more any more thoughts on this one? Yeah, yeah. I Go think ahead. the uh, the the shootout itself w- was pretty interesting because we start with Berardi. Uh, he didn't take one versus Spain, but he did send it to the almost exact same spot as Locatelli, who was the opener for Italy in that game. After that, it's the same sh- same takers in the same order. And it's Belotti missing by going the opposite way he did against Spain. And I think there we have to pause and give credit to Jordan Pickford. Because Pickford essentially stands to Pickford's right, which is where Belotti put the ball against Spain, and and invites him to aim at the much more open left side and then dives to that side and makes that save. And from there, I believe I'm correct in saying that every Italian shooter put it to the opposite side that they did against Spain or put it like mostly to the opposite side. I think it's uh, Bernadeschi goes right down the middle. He had gone to one side against Spain. And even uh, Bonucci, when he when he goes to the opposite side, he also puts it high. And Pickford goes to the exact right spot, reads that one, but just has his hands low and then has to try to get one hand up to make that save. If Bonucci had hit that maybe... A foot lower or eight inches lower, I think that one gets saved. So Pickford definitely did his homework and backed himself. And I think Italy, for their part, did the same. Uh, and it and it ended up just being that England's pe- takers couldn't get the job done. And to Graham's point, I think Italy's takers were 26, 27, 34, 27, and 29. England's takers were 27, 28, 23, 21, and 19. So maybe there is that argument for you want the veterans who back themselves who are calm in that moment versus the youngsters who've grown up hearing England don't win penalties, England can't win in shootouts, England can't win in major tournaments, and all that pressure is on them. And maybe that pressure comes to bear in that critical moment. Taylor, when you make salient points on penalty shootouts, I just think, and obviously referring to your world famous penalty diagrams, I just think of the guy from Rested Development who George Blue Senior hired to teach the kids lessons, and he just comes in and he says, and that's why you do a penalty diagram for every game. Uh, I'm not going to lie, Ryan, you broke up for everything but the very end when I heard and that's why you do a penalty diagram. And, I, and I'm and i going to assume that that was a reference to Jay Walter Weatherman from Arrested Development, in which case I agree with you. That is why you diagram these things so you know in advance. Jordan Pickford had the duct tape notes on his water bottle. I'm assuming he knew these things, too. And maybe that's why he went the way he did. Taylor Graham, I think we've lost Ryan to the depths of the internet, uh, maybe while he's also drowning himself in his own tears. But uh, I will say, just to, just to back us up. <laughs> just a solid burn on the end, Joe, while he's not there just, to defend just himself. To, Good work, buddy. Good work. Thank you. I'm trying to learn from Graham. That's really all this is for me. That's all this whole tournament's been for me. Um, I do want to say, just as I know we're nearing the end of our episode here, I think there are real big picture positives here for England. And I want to talk about those momentarily. But first, I just want to say Italy. What a team, right? The three of us did, Graham, Taylor, you and I, uh, the, the three of us did that show, the first show of this tournament, Italy versus Turkey. And I don't, I don't think we realized at the time how good Italy were. And it's become very clear throughout the course of this tournament that they are a force to be reckoned with. And they 100% deserve this victory. And I'm, as a neutral in this game, I am happy that they got that victory because this was such a phenomenal team and a team that I believe, Graham, you said plays at the international level, kind of like they're at the club level. And that's not an easy thing to do. So that's my kind of big picture positive for Italy. Well done to them and to Roberto Mancini. And then for England, this team has so much talent. And they were one or two penalty kicks away from winning this whole thing. The margins are so fine. 
losing hurts and it stings and losing this way hurts and stings all the more. But I don't really have much doubt that this team's going to be back in November or December or whenever on earth that World Cup is going to be in 2022. Uh, this is a really good team. I do think Gareth Southgate did a fairly good job at this tournament. Yes, there are little things we can we can pick out and complain about the penalty kick shootout being one of them. But man, I, I don't really doubt that England are going to be a force to be reckoned with at the international level in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, they will be back, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, do we think do we think there will be a sort of lasting scar from this one? Like my assumption would be Southgate will still be in charge. They've got World Cup qualifying. Then we'll have the World Cup. Like, do we think that it could be potentially too much pressure? Or do we feel like once again we kind of have experience? They're building towards the right thing, and maybe they come back with the idea that maybe next time if you go one nil up instead of sitting back, just go for like two and three, and then win it in comfortable style. I think there was enough in the way that they played at this tournament to suggest that that Southgate learned a lot of lessons from the 2018 World Cup. And and so you would assume that he would learn lessons from what went wrong in this tournament and and apply those lessons to the the World Cup next year. Um, But one thing I would say is, do you remember how uh, much was made of the the, the heat for that first game England played against uh, Croatia? Oh, yes. good luck in Qatar, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in, but don't worry, because they're going to have climate-controlled stadiums, and they're going right, to be yeah, underground, sure. and it won't be, oh, wait, no, never mind, none of that happened. It's going to be in the winter, though, so hopefully that's fine. Uh, we'll have plenty more of uh, criticizing Qatar to do as we go forward, but we should probably just say congratulations once again to Italy. I do think they, I didn't really have them on my list of favorites heading into the tournament, but I will say after, I went back to my notes after that first game I had, Italy might win this question mark, and uh, yeah. yeah, I stand by that one. I think they might end up winning this one. Uh, is <laughs> is is going to be my final note on this tournament. Uh, I am sad Ryan is not with us, though. I think he might be listening. I'm not entirely sure, but I would just say I would like to take a moment to to just acknowledge that like Daryl and I have done these tournaments since 2014. We've covered the World Cups, we've covered the Euros, and they are really demanding and they're really difficult to do. Uh, and I was very nervous heading into this one because without Daryl, I've never covered a tournament like this before and you all really did an amazing job of stepping up and covering every game and there were never the concerns about like are you guys actually watching are they kind of going through the motions and it's not easy especially with graham having to cover things uh in different sports at the same time and i just think you all did such a great job i'm sad ryan isn't here with us uh but i'm sure he'll hear this as well but i just wanted to take a moment to say just job done credit to all of you for for hard work in this tournament. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're not completely burnt out and we'll be willing to talk <laughs> about soccer or football, Graham, uh, as we go forward <laughs> this season because there's a lot more to get to. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for sure. Thank you for letting us come on and make this happen. It has been a blast. And maybe maybe, maybe it'd be even blastier without one of those extra time games somewhere in this tournament. But <laughs> this was this was fun, man. This was fun. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say as well. It's 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 genuinely genuinely been a lot of fun, and I hope that comes across in uh, in you know the the podcasts we've recorded. And for it to end with a England defeat and a penalty shootout, and uh, <laughs> the the Englishman not not the Englishman in this team not just not being able to gloat, but not even being on the podcast for the final few minutes. Wow, <laughs> yeah, I really right? want it of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we should note that like. Even with England's uh, penalty misses in this one, at least all their their players like stuck around till the end. Whereas our illustrious Englishman <laughs> has ju- has just fled uh, when we were getting near the end of re- regulation. When it seemed like penalties might be looming, 
that's when Ryan Bailey said goodbye. So uh, credits to Saka, Sancho, Rashford, Maguire, and Harry Kane for sticking around to take theirs. Condemnation to Ryan Bailey for not doing the same. But uh, on that on that sad note for Ryan, I will just say one more time, uh, Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for talking about all of these many, many Euro <laughs> games uh, with myself and the rest of the crew. That is no problem, Taylor. It is uh, always fun and well done to you as well on, on this. We should say that too. Oh, thank you. Uh, and Joe Lowry, uh, the same to you. Credit to you. Well done, my friend. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, well done to you all for listening to everything, to watching all the games. But we will continue to discuss soccer as the summer goes forward, including the USA's game, which kicks off in theoretically like an hour and a half or so. We'll see if that ends up being the case. But Joe and I are going to be reviewing that one. We're going to be doing all the U.S.'s Gold Cup games and maybe a few other ones. We'll be doing some transfer catch-up this week, the four of us, and many, many more shows to come uh, from this summer of soccer, including with the U.S. Women's National Team in the Olympics. But for now, thank you all again so much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon. 